Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And apologies if I'm sounding a bit more mellifluous than usual. I am coming down with a, a cold post my Parisian trip at Blockchain Paris. But that's less exciting than the folks we have on the other side of the mic. We have quite a number of new faces to the show joining me. From our team at The Block, we have Lucy, who is one of our senior fintech reporters. She's going to be helping navigate the conversation as well as my own uh, sort of ailment, if you will. And then our, our guests, who we're really lucky to have on, Jake Bruckman, founder and CEO of CoinFund, and Chris Perkins, fellow New Jerseyite and friend, president of CoinFund, gentlemen, we're really excited to have you on the show. CoinFund has been, I mean, you guys have been hiring at an incredibly aggressive clip and you've brought on quite a number of impressive heavy hitters to build out what is one of the largest funds active in the in the ecosystem. Very crypto native, at least as far as I'm concerned. And you touch many different arenas, venture, you're developing things, you're doing, you have the hedge fund strategies. So let's dive right into it. Thanks so much for joining. We'll start with you, Mr. Jake. Tell us a little bit about the story. You guys have been operating and at this for several years. For listeners who maybe have been under that proverbial rock, what is CoinFund and how do you distinguish yourselves from the myriad crypto funds out there? Hey, Frank, thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. By the way, I'm a New Jersey guy too. I grew up in Central Jersey, just so you know. If it exists. Um, <laughs> thanks for having us on the show. You know, the story of CoinFund begins in 2015 when, you know, we kind of launched our first vehicle. And the idea was, you know, I was a, a fairly early person in the Bitcoin space. I actually got my first Bitcoin, it's kind of crazy to say, but over 10 years ago in 2011. 
I was following the space ever since, started investing in earnest on Coinbase at the end of 2013 and that upslope to 1200 for Bitcoin. Um, but it wasn't until I read Vitalik's white paper for Ethereum that, you know, I, I like to say on podcasts, you know, I put down the white paper and I looked at the wall for 30 minutes and was like, wow, digital assets as a new asset class, that makes a lot of sense. And so I really wanted to work in, in the space full time. My background is uh, mathematics and computer science. I was an engineer as well as a technical product manager. I worked in fintech most of my career and then also at Amazon, running a team of people working on advertising technology back then. Um, it was also a CTO of, a, of an alternative data firm called Triton Research, which did a lot of interesting research on private pre-IPO technology companies. And so when I was faced with kind of going into the space, my kind of first inclination was, hey, maybe I should start a tech startup, right? But I quickly understood that, you know, the technology was very nascent, that we would be in this huge innovation curve in crypto. And coupled with my interest in fintech, you know, it became uh, a really interesting approach to become an investor in the space. And so CoinFund is really one of the first funds and investment firms focused on the digital asset asset class. Today, we are you know, a multi-strategy firm. We have around 33 employees, mostly in New York, but also Boston, Miami, a couple of other cities around the world. We have over 120 portfolio companies, and we've now been operating in the space for nearly seven years. So it's exciting. It's interesting, right? Because you guys have been expanding out from crypto native world into, you know, trying to get the trappings of traditional finance, where many of the new entrants of the space are coming at it from the other direction. You have Chris kind of spearheading that. Well, Chris, you were at City. You were a big enchilada there. What dragged you into the crypto world? And what, what are you trying to do with Jake at CoinFund to, to make it sort of a, you know, a, a huge powerhouse? You speak about enchiladas, but I just want to get one thing off my chest. You know, it's Taylor Ham, not pork roll, um, before we start. The big, the big Taylor Ham. That's right. Um, yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, and I found my way into the United States Marine Corps for nine years. I was in the Battle of Ramadi, and then I transitioned into, into finance. I started actually at Lehman Brothers. And I'll tell you that being in combat and then being at Lehman Brothers at early stages of my career really gives you a perspective uh, going forward. And uh, maybe that's really helped me, you know, it, with some of the volatility we experienced. But anyway, then I moved to City. And I was running three, three global businesses uh, when, I, when I left the firm. I was running our futures business. I took over a business called Foreign Exchange Prime Brokerage. The company lost a bunch of money. Bloomberg reported $180 million. And they said, hey, um, we want you to look at this. And they said, yep, it's yours. And so I, I got to, uh, to work on that business. And then I also started our clear derivatives business after Dodd-Frank. So we took the $700 trillion business from unregulated to regulated. And Gary Gensler was my regulator at the time. So I've got some experience working there. You know, I was starting to look at, at crypto back probably around 2015, 2016. And I was trying to get it off the ground within my traditional finance world. And, and, it, and it was pretty challenging. As time went on, it's, it's just you get sucked down that rabbit hole. And then, you know, by night and on the weekends, you just become a degen. Um, and once you taste and you feel it and you compare it to, you know, the legacy technology, you know, you realize really quickly that you that I was constrained by my technology and my thinking had been constrained by my technology. 
And, um, you know, I got to meet the coin fund team and I was just absolutely blown away. I mean, like you said, differentiated investors operating in the space since 2015, as native as they come. And, you know, one thing that maybe we can talk about later is around our diversity, you know, n- not only by, by, by race and, and gender, but also by backgrounds. And, you know, I was able to, to bring a different perspective to their process. And like you said, you know, I'm here to build. Um, I'm a builder by nature. And um, it's been I can't tell you how exciting it is. You know, Jake talked about, you know, how we've grown with people and, and um, we're super focused on bringing in the best talent in the entire world into this space, into our company and doing so in a way that really preserves this incredible culture, this inclusive culture, this this culture of excitement, because we're giving birth to this thing called Web3. Uh, and, and I can't tell you how excited I am. So help connect the dots for the listeners. Why? And this is something that you and and Jake can touch on. Why does a coin fund bring in someone like you, Chris, with your pedantic derivatives background? How does that fit into the equation, the chemistry to create a world-class fund? Bring us behind the scenes. Absolutely, Frank. And listen, the story of how Chris, you know, joined the industry, joined our firm is really the story of most of the people who work at CoinFund today. Most of the people who work at CoinFund today have been incredibly successful in, in the past, in, in the traditional world. They're, first of all, professionals in their fields, in their respective fields. And second of all, our team is incredibly multidisciplinary. We have people from computer science, we have people from finance, from banking. We even have uh, biochem, right? But what unites everybody at CoinFund is a passion for blockchain and decentralization technology, a belief that this is an incredibly impactful space that will, you know, create reverberations around the world in terms of the impact that it makes. And when they come over to CoinFund from from the traditional world, you know, this is an expression of their passion for working in this industry. And so that has been kind of the story of Chris. It's been the story of David Pakman, who joined us full time, Late last year, from after 13 years of being a venture investor at Benrock, it's been a story of Einar Brothen, who joined us from Excel recently. And the other thing to say uh, is that it also is a reflection of our belief of how blockchain technology will truly be responsibly and practically adopted, right? In the early days of this space, there's a lot of focus on like pure decentralization strategies that that really like didn't work that well. Like they didn't win over mainstream customers. They didn't win over right, regulators, right? And you know what? What we kind of implicitly sort of believe at CoinFund is that the the truly successful strategy of getting adoption for these technologies is a negotiation between kind of the world that exists out there and these new incredible technological breakthroughs. And so, you know, in that context where blockchain has to deal with governments, with regulators, with existing corporate entities, right, with with different sectors, you know, the gaming industry, the banking industry, you know, this really is a multidisciplinary problem that requires many, many different kinds of points of view, many genders, you know, many, many assessments of of blockchain, right, to get adopted. And that's what we've built at CoinFund. So 
Chris is helping with those negotiations with the outside world. What does that look like aside from maybe trying to convince some of your former colleagues to to pour capital into the fund? Or is that just the name of the game? No, I, I think that, you know, today we talk about TradFi and we also talk about crypto. Those worlds are, are coming together quicker than you could imagine. I think, Frank, you saw some of that when we were down at Boca uh, for the FIA conference where, you know, what's going to come out of this collision? I think in many cases, we're going to have new and exciting capabilities un- unleashed, un- unleashed by blockchain technology. And so you know, one thing that we do is we spend a lot of time with, with regulators and policymakers. And we brought Chris Giancarlo onto our board as an example. Uh, he's been an incredible asset to ourselves and to our portfolio companies. Uh, but we're educating and teaching and helping them understand because, you know, our sense is that, you know, one of the things that we're going to see very soon is, is very thoughtful principles-based policy, and we're helping our regulators and governments get there. You know, that's that's a global phenomenon. And so what do I do? I'm spending time with the portfolio companies, right? Like I said, I built three global businesses at City that went from unregulated and, and, and to a degree regulated. So how can I help them? How can I help them navigate the challenges of, of business building, speaking to policymakers, regulators, you know, and then of course, telling our story uh, to people that want to listen. As a firm that's quite you know, obviously quite couched in the space already. What mistakes you see non-crypto native firms making when they're looking to enter the market? Um, You kind of touched on it a little bit, Jake. Yeah, it'd be good to hear your thoughts. Well, I would say like at this moment in time, we're in April of 2022. What we're definitely seeing is a much broader recognition of blockchain and Web3 technologies as a, you know, an industry ripe for for building, right? And we've, we are now seeing, you know, many, many Web2 founders kind of come into the space and start to build products. And there's two kinds of, you know, poles, I would say, for, for founders in crypto. Like one profile is kind of the people who have been building crypto so far. These are extremely talented technologists. They are really into the deep decentralization technology of of blockchains, of of crypto tokens, right? They're the people who are able to program blockchains. They're able to program complex systems. And these people are relatively inexperienced. I say relatively inexperienced when it comes to, you know, bringing these products to, to actual mainstream market, to, you know, building products at scale, like we used to do at Amazon, to creating user experiences that, you know, that really convert, you know, the, the long tail of, of retail users. And then there's the other poll of, of founders that we see, which are the people with precisely that experience. They're the, the founders are coming out of Amazon and Google and Facebook, right? They do have experience building applications at scale. Like when I, when I ran my team at Amazon, we used to work on detail pages at Amazon. And this is the kind of page that gets a million hits in an hour. So it's a really exciting place to work, but it's also you know, a very difficult problem to, you know, create technology that can handle that and to make changes to, you know, to those, to those products. But the folks who are coming in now, they have that experience, they have the user experience, experience, (laughs) and they have the uh, kind of ability to bring products to the mainstream market in a really robust and and, and well-trained way. But they have less sort of fundamental crypto native experience they have they have less knowledge about you know how token supplies should be structured they have less knowledge about you know how to do a crypto deal or 
or what kind of crypto native incentives really win when out audiences or, or what kind of products you know are going to be most effective at converting you know sort of crypto native participants and so you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a mistake necessarily i would i would say it's it's a learning curve for everybody to bring these two things together to bridge the gap between you know this amazing technology that people have built and to make it usable enough that people out there in the real world can actually benefit from it and and see you know see how it can create impact right and that bridging of the gap is the thing that so far has made most successful crypto companies successful these are companies like you know coinbase and and opensea and and blockfi and and so on and so forth so those founders that can bridge that gap they they really end up hitting it out of the park maybe i can add from an investor perspective uh, crypto is all about community and you really have to work to navigate that community to understand the founders and to help them grow and and we always approach you know our investments from a founders first approach we want to invest in them give them access to resource and develop them it's very difficult if you come from a, the traditional world and you just rock in and you say i'm so and so you know i'm going to write a big check uh, because in many cases you know the the founders that we deal with they may not be interested in in that check and and i remember we were at a, a conference not too long ago and one of our uh, analysts walked into a room full of founders and they said we don't we don't like vcs and he said well wait a second uh, guys i understand and he took off his shirt uh, his jacket and it said coin fund they're like oh wow you're from coin fund can you come in because you have to really um, get in at the, you know get your hands dirty and help them grow but that's been a mistake that i've seen is is failing to recognize that you have to understand the community itself what type of regulatory questions are founders coming to you guys about like you've committed quite a bit of resources to that aspect of helping your portfolio companies how are they leveraging the resources that you have at your disposal is it is it simply you know a selfie with with John Carlo or is it <laughs> is it something more pedantic than that what what are we actually talking about here so it it's a really really good question frank and there are plenty of regulatory challenges that our founders face everything from navigating things such as ofac kyc aml to okay i want to start operating a derivatives platform in the united states how do i do it and one of the things that we do is help them navigate the thought process around licenses right because whether you like it or not if you want to operate in certain markets you need to be licensed in those markets and we can help them think through what licenses are needed or what partners to find so that you can have those licenses to operate i was on with a founder last night and we were talking about we laid out the 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 US derivatives landscape and it's pretty complex and there's all these different acronyms DCM DCO FCM and we we really mapped out hey if you want to operate in the United States which of these like regulatory license legos do you need to to put together and we can help them think through uh, how to navigate in cer- certain cases the you know the the law and regulation is very very clear where it's not clear we work with them to make sure that they don't fall afoul of it right like we look at the howey test all the time and we also appreciate the fact that in many cases the technology has surpassed law and regulation and so the other thing we do is we help put them in touch with policymakers so that whether it's you know folks who are working at the CFTC the lab CFTC or the SEC you know the regulators really want to understand the technology and in many cases you know it really is going to come down to 
to educating policymakers themselves because the law, you know, regulators enforce the law. In certain cases, the law needs to be updated because the technology has surpassed, you know, the current p- policy. It's interesting. So let's talk about this shift underway that Lucy and I have kind of pinpointed in, in our recent piece that we worked on together, this shift from Wall Street or traditional financial services to crypto. What, what's going on? Why are, I mean, it seems like it's, it's, it's happening in mass. Like I tweeted, you know, DM me if, if you're leaving a Wall Street bank for crypto and I got Hundreds of messages. Oh my god! Hundreds think, um, and hundreds. Of, is it yeah. real, Lucy? Do you think it's real, or are we? Well, I, I think that Chris described it when I interviewed him uh, for that piece as a parabolic opportunity curve, which is like an incredible description. Um, yeah, and like as I said before, we started the we started recording after we pubbed that piece. I got more feedback than I've got from any other thing that I've published at the block. Like people messaging me, telling me they'd left banks, you know, people wanting to tell me about their projects, you know, people are really excited. And they're burnt out to a degree. They're really burnt out. I mean, I think like you, you, when you're at, I don't know if it's, I don't know the degree to which, you know, it's a lack of recognition within a bank or it's just the same old, same old, and you go to a crypto company, you can have like outsized um, impact or it's just more fun. But I'm sure those are just some, are those some of the factors you heard from people who reached out to you? Like, is it just more fun? Is it? Yeah, I guess it's like the opportunity to move, like t- to change stuff like way faster than if you're like at a Wall Street bank. Because I guess, you know, one one person who I won't name, um, uh, <laughs> sort of. Chris. <laughs> it's not Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Compared it to like, it was like being on a cruise ship rather than being on a speedboat, you know, like you can't turn the chip around like as fast as you could, you know, like, yeah. So that's, I mean, what's that from your perspective, guys? Culture is a big deal, right? And one thing we do at our company is we try to cultivate and it kind of builds, we get so excited and, and there's just so much innovation going on. And the opportunity set is so robust that, you know, the culture is super, super strong. Look, my old firm, City, love it to death. Uh, it provides really important financial services for the world. Uh, it's been around for 200 years. Most of the projects- Your death or its death? What's that? I said, your death or its death? <laughs> well, let's- oh. <laughs> so, so it's been around for 200 years, right? And, and you get a certain degree of, of maturity and linearity with, with, that, with that maturity, you know, whereas in this space, almost everything that we do is less than, and all the protocols and companies we touch, pretty much they're all less than five years old. And, you know, we're effectively in the process of giving birth to a brand new asset class. And it's just so incredibly exciting being a pioneer, being on the cutting edge, for those of us who are wired like that, it's, it's kind of obvious why you'd want to transition into this space. We're like, I wake up every day, our morning meeting, you know, I'm confronted with some of the most incredibly like innovations and concepts that people are unlocking their brains because, you know, the new technology allows them to think differently. So, you know, I can't under, understate the, um, the excitement. Now, you know, the good news is I think a lot of the banks, when I talk to them, they're like, you know, we're serious now. Back when 2017, my phone was ringing all the time. And they'd be like, hey, get me into this market, Chris. 
And I would say, are you speaking for yourself or for your company? And they say, well, myself, my company would never touch this stuff. By the time I left and now you're seeing them form these working groups, right? And they'll get the compliance lady and the trader and the ops person and, and they're serious. But what happens is those folks come together, they go down the rabbit hole and their minds explode. And then, you know, they see the opportunity set and off they go into, into crypto land. So it's been very slow to see the institutional adoption. That said, it's coming. And, and it actually excites me because you're going to see a, a tidal wave of institutional activity coming into the space. And I think that's going to be healthy uh, for the market. Wasn't always the case, though, right, uh, Jake? I mean, what do you think was the inflection point that translated into this exodus of talent to crypto? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the truth is that, well, well, like maybe in finance and tech, in particular, if we rewind like 10 years ago, you know, we were in a process where a lot of people from financial technology, my background is in financial technology, used to work in the technology department of a large hedge fund, several large, several hedge funds, actually, right? But 10 years ago, there was like this exodus from financial technology to startups, right? Like it used to be you call a recruiter up and, you know, all they had were like bank jobs. And then at some point they started having like, oh, Oh, we have this exotic opportunity. You know, you could you could go join a fifteen person team and like a Series A, you know, type of startup. You know, and that process continues today, right? As as the startup world has sort of grown and created some really impressive products in the world. But I would say, if we take a step back, I mean, our period in history right now, and this would be the opinion of like many people in crypto, probably, is that we're living through you know, a time of institutional failure, institutional kind of inadequacy. Institutions are uh, technologies that were created hundreds of years ago to help us kind of maintain society. But as technology has developed, you know, they really have not kept up to that technological development. And we see this, you know, not just in banking in 2008, right? We also see it in you know, publishing and media, we see it in the education system and universities and the, in the healthcare system, in the insurance industry, like, there's all kinds of institutions out there that are, that are really like feeling quite outdated. And I think that blockchain technology creates at least a vision and probably opportunities for those industries to be updated with technology to be made more efficient to get rid of you know, human and paper processes that have been creating inefficiencies there. And and this exodus that you're seeing, it's an expression of that. It's like when you go to a new industry that's more greenfield, that where there's a lot more, um, you know, sort of design space to create solutions and to build and all the availability of, of capital, as we see in crypto, and it becomes a really attractive opportunity for people who feel like the world should be updated and changed. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, with that in mind, what areas of finance do you think are the most primed for innovation, so to speak, in this space? Well, I, I mean, like, when we think about crypto wallets and DeFi, right, you know, we're really talking about, like, in a, in a, in a wallet, it's a, it's a product that, you know, essentially should obsolete bank accounts, right? And not only that, but, but augment those kinds of accounts with decentralized financial services. Like if you, you want to get a loan, if you want to get insurance, if you want to, 
um, you know, trade trade assets. If you want to invest, if you want to get exposure to digital art or even like fractionals, fractionalized like physical real estate, you know, these are all things that you can now do on your phone. And these are all services that really haven't been haven't been available to people. Certainly not from banks. Banks don't really have they don't really have the incentive to build those types of retail products because they don't make most of their revenue that way. And so what we've seen is like a movement for the last 10 years in fintech where fintech startups have come out and tried to build like neobanks. They've tried to build kind of better insurance like Lemonade, right? They've tried to build better lending systems, right? And and those those have been great efforts and they've made some progress. But... But... A but... <laughs> But DeFi has made more, right? DeFi mm-hmm. opens up kind of a global market here where there's just more design space to create products. The products are more efficient. The addressable markets opened up by this idea that you have an app on your phone that's globally accessible everywhere, you know, just creates like better yields, better returns, right? But more opportunities. And that's what we're seeing play out. And, and I also want to be like super clear, like when we look at DeFi as investors right now, these products have not gone to market, mm. right? Like they, they've built incredible proofs of concept. They're actually doing billions in revenue across various protocols, like, you know, lending protocols and derivatives protocols. But most people who are retail users, they don't use DeFi today. It's too complicated. It hasn't been taken to market. And so the technology has been created but all of the growth is still ahead. I want to double click on that real quick. This dichotomy between not that fintech companies haven't been successful, but I'm sure some of them uh, and and Lucy can probably speak to this better than I can. Maybe feel a bit like look you know you're they're situated right and you have um you know Wealthfront was acquired by UBS for 1.4 billion one and they've been at it for almost a decade. One inch, which is a you know a DeFi aggregator, two point two billion dollar valuation. You juxtapose the fintech valuations with the crypto valuations, they get completely blown out of the water. Which says that the market thinks something, which is the addressable market or the TAM or what these companies can build far outstrips the fintechs, or they have more confidence in the crypto companies, whether they're DeFi centralized or not their opportunity set is far larger than an acorns or a you know some of the neo banks that that Lucy covers even something like Robinhood is only you know trading in the public right. markets at like 10 billion dollars way less than uh OpenSea so right. why why has it shaken out to look like this and you know if we were to Think about the future, you know, Lucy. Should we change your? Should 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 you get out of fintech oh, reporting because it's looking a bit grim? Isn't it? Frank, get me a new job. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just touch on something that Jake really mentioned, and sometimes I don't think we think big enough in this space. The fundamental innovation of blockchain technology is an innovation on the ledger itself, right? Which is at the heart not only of the economy but probably of civilization, because it tracks title right in a decentralized, trustless way. And, you know, it was started 7,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, and that part of the world led art, science, technology, mathematics for centuries, right? This is a fundamental change to the ledger keeping. Everything is instantaneously global. And I think 
certain people recognize the, the inherent value of that, of, of fundamentally innovating on the epicenter, you know, of, of our economy, perhaps our civilization. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling and rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com crypto. So the epicenter of civilization, in your view, has, has been sort of um, upended. So where, well, do you, where do the fintechs live in this new paradigm? Well, well, so let me, maybe I would, I would also add that, well, kind of to Chris's point, right? I think what we're saying is there's a, with, with this technology, there is a certain shift of operating system that is happening, right? Like, I, like Frank, like if you think about starting a startup in the year 2000, about 22 years ago, you know, like I'm pretty sure it costs like a million dollars to like get going. Right. And, and these days it's like, okay, you pay a couple hundred bucks to get like registered online. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, you, you have all these like tools that could get you HR and whatever. And like the cost of like creating something, uh, creating a small company is like much, much lower. And what that has actually done is it's created a new market for people who can now do that easily. Like there's a lot more people who can start startups now, right? And it's sort of similar to maybe like Uber, right? When Uber tried to take over the taxi market back in 2009 or something in, you know, in San Francisco, they actually ended up creating like more customers who want to ride because there's some people who'll never call a cab, but if you know, but if you have it in your phone, they're just lazy enough to, to you know, to be able to do that. And suddenly there's like a lot more people riding cabs than there were before. And in the same way, right, in crypto, 
like one of the reasons that you're seeing these higher valuations for DeFi protocols that have analogies in the traditional world is probably because the investors are betting on those protocols to create bigger markets than what would be possible with with these like you know more classical fintech approaches. So where does it leave fintech? Well, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of companies that are operating in fintech today, but I think that if they integrate some of the value propositions of what we're seeing in blockchain, then they become extremely competitive with within their markets, right? And a simple example of that would be, you know, an app like Echo or something that gives people 3% yield on their deposits. And that is, I mean, if you pull up Goldman Marcus, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that kicks the pants off of the rate that you get there, which is about, I think it's about 50 basis points, right? And so I, I think there is a role for, for fintech companies to play here for sure. At the very least, in the sense of creating the brand trust with retail users that allows them to go and start using these apps, you know, start integrating DeFi into their lives and start creating and opening new opportunities for people, you know, to use these technologies in impactful ways. There, there's a role for them as well in, in user interface, right? Today, you know, like it or not, the, the Web3 experience is still very clunky. And that user experience, I think there's a lot to be done there. And I think it's going to come together in, in short order. Yeah, I think with fintech, what's been interesting for me to watch is how uh, a lot of like neobanks and like classic fintechs have been bolting on crypto services and kind of making those available to their users as well. So I think maybe they also see this kind of land grab happening and want to um, get a piece of it. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting area. I want to talk about this cultural element. I forget which one of you brought it up, but apparently, I think it was you, Chris, the gentleman who didn't want to talk to any VCs, and then you you, you opened up your shirt. Not me. Yeah, I was one of our research analysts. <laughs> like Superman. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you guys are just taking off your clothes at events. That's right. That's okay. <laughs> I'm reading. I'm reading this Bloomberg piece about Framework Ventures just raised five, or excuse me, four hundred million for a new um, crypto fund. And the headline talks about how they want to challenge the khaki sweater vest crowd. What is going on in crypto where the the sort of traditional Sand Hill, uh, San Francisco investor has become persona non grata? And how do you see those more classic VCs navigating this distrust or this distaste for them? But is the premise of the question correct? I think I think it might be. Well, well, I, I think I think you're correct in the sense that there's definitely a lot more traditional venture capitalist interest in the space. You know, we, you know, kind of from the crypto fund perspective, crypto fund folks perspective, right? Like we kind of told them five years ago that crypto was a thing. They didn't believe us, but they're coming around now. Um, and so, what you do see is you know, a bunch of traditional venture firms now taking quite a serious look at various companies and opportunities in the space. Some of them are starting DAO. Some of them are starting, you know, crypto dedicated funds. Um, what I would say is there's there's a huge learning curve there, right? There's no substitute for seven years of working with 120 portfolio companies like in this industry and like trying different experiments, understanding what works, iterating and navigating the best practices of what 
crypto deals look like? You know, is it a SAFT? Is it a convertible equity deal with token warrants? Is it something else? Right. So there's a whole bunch of experience there that the traditional uh, venture just doesn't have. Um, the personalities involved in crypto are also quite different from the personality of, you know, your average San Francisco tech founder. These people are much more independent, much more global. Probably um, capital is very cheap from their perspective. And so the idea of a VC as a capital mechanism is much, much less attractive. And an idea of a VC as a kind of a network for the founder or someone who can actually help you build a successful project or network is a lot more attractive. So it's kind of saying to the traditionals, guys, you got to like put your money where your mouth is a little bit in terms of bringing value to projects. The other thing I'll say is traditional venture who's coming in now, they still haven't fully understood kind of the space that they're operating in, in the sense that in Web3, we as investors have to invest not only in the equity of companies, but also into the digital assets of networks. And what I've heard a lot from new entrants is like, hey, you know, we're starting a fund, but we're only going to be doing equity. And if that's your approach, then what you're doing is you're, you know, you're succumbing to some kind of limitation for some reason that is not allowing you to take advantage of sort of the key, you know, the key asset class, which is in play here, which is digital assets. And the last thing I'll say is, Blockchain is an extremely diverse uh, space, right? We have companies who are building in finance. We have companies that are building in art, architecture, ESG, climate stuff, right? Marketplaces, like all kinds of stuff. And so this requires generalism and this requires large teams to be able to keep track of everything. And some of these traditional folks who say, hey, you know, we hired like a blockchain guy to help us cover the space, it almost seems a little bit silly, right? Because how can one person cover with one person's expertise, like the whole spectrum of what is available there? At CoinFund, we have a team of eight researchers and four partners doing deals of 12 people covering the space. And we have a company that we've incubated with about 16 people who are dedicated just to the NFT space. So you can think about it as like almost 30 people covering investments for CoinFund but it's still not enough. I think there's only one person who can cover everything. <laughs> and that's me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, there, if there was such one, I, I'm getting close. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's maybe one blind spot, maybe two, but I'm pretty close. Um, yeah. So what about, what? how do you handle, you are a venture firm, but there's also this liquid stuff going on. You're dealing with tokens. That's got to be complicated. For a traditional, you know, Market Street, you know, SF venture firm coming into the space, how do you manage those tokens, right? How do you, if at a thousand X's, do you take some off the table? Are you engaging with OTC desks to sort of manage that risk? They're not used to that. That's why they want to only engage in equity deals because it's so complicated, probably from a risk management perspective, to deal right. with those tokens. So how do you do it? But, but, but at the same time, it's not exactly the right strategy uh, necessarily to like pick one company, invest in its equity, you know, and just make, make like one bet, right? Like we see areas where there's so many different kinds of firms that are making innovations in, in a particular kind of technology area. 
that that strat that classic venture strategy it, it probably isn't isn't like sufficient to you know to develop that area to fund it to to capture its value i would say like the crypto fund space is interesting because it's a new asset class it's an asset class that is brought about through equity investments investments in notes investments in convertible instruments investments in digital assets you know those digital assets have their own kind of native opportunities in terms of staking and yield generation right and so it presents a challenge to anyone who is a traditional liquid investor because it sometimes you need to take a long term venture style alignment with teams and help them build a product it's also a challenge to the traditional venture investor because they're dealing in companies that are you know maybe they're private equity in the beginning but very quickly they become digital assets that trade on 24 hour markets so like how do you you know how do you navigate kind of the, the spectrum between kind of the private equity equity investment and the and the liquid investment well i think i think it's a new discipline like at coin fund we we have a research team that really works across uh, venture and liquid investments by necessity of of the asset class that they're that they're looking at and if you go to wall street like there's no one that generally has that kind of kind of cross functionality it's very unusual but it's it, it's something that we absolutely necessarily have to do so i think like when you're a crypto fund how do you manage risk well you actually have more opportunities relative to traditional venture to manage risk because you're dealing in more liquid assets and then you have more opportunities to be like longer term aligned relative to traditional liquid strategies so it's a negotiation yeah maybe i can chime in i think from a venture perspective one of the beautiful innovations of this technology is that you get those venture exposures with liquidity when you look at when you look at risk managing the liquid book we apply some of the same disciplines that we would ordinarily apply to traditional finance. You know, you look at liquidity, you look at stresses, you look at concentrations, you put together governance, you look at your collateralization. Um, but there's a big difference between this world and the world that I came from. And that's the fact that the market trades 24 seven, right? And so one of the gaps that I see in traditional land is really comes down to operations. How do you have something that's not slow and batch driven versus something that can real time adjust and you can you can take the steps that you need to to manage your book in real time. It's that transition to twenty four seven that really is is the is the art here. Uh, and for the crypto native folks, they've figured it out. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in traditional in the traditional space. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's hard to just kind of break in. You know, it's not it's not easy. And we're kind of seeing like the confusion. We kind of saw it right up close and personal when we were in Boca, when FTX just kind of gate crashed with their t-shirts and created this whole buzz around this proposal to, to go direct to the sort of end client, which is, you know, not to get too much into it on this show, unusual, not normally the case in traditional futures trading where you have these FCMs sitting in between the exchange and the broker. But that kind of provides a really great example of how Another great example, rather, of how crypto is just completely approaching things differently. Totally. As a guy who used to run an FCM, I think the FTX proposal makes a ton of sense. And without getting into all the details, the fact of the matter is, is that after the global financial crisis, 
policymakers and regulators, the, you know, the, the crisis was caused by centralization and concentration. And the regulatory response was even more concentration because they didn't have the technology. And so they needed to, to put all the risks together so they could see it and monitor it. But now, you know, technology allows us to look at a different model where, where perhaps we can spread out and disseminate and distribute risk through this direct model. So I'm actually really excited about, you know, the ideas here. And, and really what it comes down to is to the extent that a clearinghouse can real-time risk manage and real-time collateralize, you know, we shouldn't hold them back, right? We should encourage the rest of the industry to develop those capabilities. And frankly, I'm super excited about derivatives markets. I'm super excited about crypto derivatives markets because the thing about derivatives is that they're fully regulated. There's no black and white. There's no ambiguity. They are regulated. The law tells you how to treat them. And yeah, like I talked about earlier, you have to have certain licenses, et cetera. But my sense is that with some of with the right principles based policies in place, I think you're going to see an explosion in innovation uh, predicated on this real this movement to real time, uh, which we lacked in, in the traditional world. Lots of in innovation on the horizon. Lucy? I was just going to say, um, sometimes I think it, like the speed and the fact that it is 24 hours is what scares people, you know, like, and that's the kind of thing that's holding a lot of TradFi back in a way. I couldn't agree more, right? Um, you know, we were dealing with like, you know, in many cases, it's 1990s technology. It just is what it is. And and it's, it's batch based. But my question is, is like, if a clearinghouse is calling me from collateral at one in the morning and I have to wait till the end of the day that night to get collateral from my client, what could the market do in that time? And I'm under collateralized. So there's a couple of things I can do. I can call for even more collateral, right? And suck it out of the system, which it could be deployed for much better use cases to protect myself, or I'm taking a ton of risk. You know, wouldn't it be better to be real-time risk managed where your collateral keeps pace with, with your risk? You know, to me, that's a more efficient marketplace, which, which gets me kind of excited. We're all very excited. We could probably have a whole yeah. episode just on on how FCMs are going to be disrupted, but we'll save that for part two. Well, the comment letters are due on May 11th, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's said. Absolutely. I can't wait to go through. We'll go through those together. We'll, we'll do a fake time. We'll just <laughs> read them, Page pour book. some wine, you know, or something, and just sit back and, and read through those comments. Well, this was really fun. I'm glad that this was... A, a long time coming. A long time coming. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, guys, where can our listeners learn more about what you folks are working on at CoinFund? Absolutely. CoinFund.io is, is the website. But if you're into the crypto space, you got to be on Twitter. So follow follow me at JBRUKH. Follow CoinFund at CoinFund underscore IO. And then, Chris, what's your handle? Perkins CR97. Go follow him. Perkins CR97. Thanks. We'll see you on Twitter. We'll see you on Twitter. Once again, we've been joined today by our guests, Jake and Chris at CoinFund. We're so happy that you stopped by. Can't wait to talk to you soon. And of course, thank you to my co-host today, Lucy, senior reporter here at The Block. And uh, if you didn't see our feature that we put out on the great exodus from Citibank, aptly titled Mapping Out the Great City Crypto Exodus, <laughs> Uh, go check that out. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day, everyone.